Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Cotton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy, as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website, as well as on this podcast. My guest is Brent Nichols, Vice President of Client Strategy and Relations with SBIR Advisors. Brent, welcome to the program. Hey, Tom, how are you? Doing very well, thanks. It's a, it's a yeah. lovely day here in Florida. We got over our two days of winter. I'm very happy. <laughs> That's outstanding. <laughs> I'm in Arizona, so I know exactly how you're feeling. There you go. So let's start out with the basics, Brent. What is SBIR and how is that important to space startups as well as established companies? Well, that's a great question because SBIR or SIBR for short, you know, uh, or STTR, which we may hit on at some point during this conversation, is this pot of money that's been lit around for a long time uh, that, that drives innovation with small business. And so when you talk about space company, and I'm gonna, we're going to talk about my lens, you know, I'm an, I have an Air Force background, we'll go all into that. But when it comes to space companies, you're at a time right now where you're capitalizing on a program that's been around for a long time. So small business innovation research is what it stands for. And it's this, it's this way for small businesses and not, not just the big guys, these small businesses to grab a hold of a little bit of money, which is important, but also a foothold within the DOD or the government as a whole, uh, a foothold that wasn't, isn't always easy to find. And so uh, it's a acquisition pathway that has money that comes along with it. So then what's your background and how did you get interested in this small business innovation resource? Air Force acquisition officer. I was active duty for 12 years. I'm still a reservist, serving as a contracting officer. And if anyone's done any amount of work with the government, specifically the DOD, they know my career field is the one that makes their life um, miserable. This is really the only way I could think to put it. Acquisition, <laughs> government acquisitions is a pain in the neck. It really is. There's just a lot that goes into it. And contracting officers tend to be either the messenger or the actual problem themselves for a myriad of reasons. But um, I did that for a long time. And that, but, you know, despite causing trouble for contractors, um, when you can figure out fun and creative ways to get people on contract and get them doing what they do best, um, it, it's a lot of fun. And so when I transitioned out and started working in the SBIR program, it was an opportunity to work with startups that had just brilliant ideas and, and technology that the warfighter needed and needed it now. And I knew how to get them there. <laughs> not, and not just me, but several people like me. And so our, our team at SBIR advisors, supervisors, um, that's what we spend most of our time uh, doing is working with those companies. You know, you mentioned the warfighters. Uh, is your company, and we'll talk a little bit more in depth about your company in, in a little bit, but are you more working on defense contracts? Do you work with um, with with commercial entities, with small businesses that are providing um, technology for the larger aerospace companies like SpaceX and such, or are you strictly focusing on on DOD? Yeah. So when it comes to CIBR and CITR, SBIR, SCTR, yes to everything. But there's a certain places that our expertise lies, and that's within the DOD, even more specifically in the Air Force and Space Force. Uh, that's based on our team's background, but it also is because each agency, there's 11 
agencies or organizations that actually execute SBIR dollars. There's $3 billion that go out. Everyone gets a little piece. They all do it in their own special way. And so uh, if that doesn't make it any more confusing, you know, having 11 different ways to get on contract, I don't know what will. But not only do we know Air Force and Space Force well, but they've proven to be the most open and the most innovative with their thinking. And so to answer your question directly, we work with companies that want to work with the DOD. And, you know, are there other things that go on with larger companies? You think about <laughs> SpaceX and others. Um, there's certainly opportunities where those engagements might happen, but that, that's not, that's only, that's on the periphery. It, what happens is, is we start working with these companies and they start grabbing that, like I said, that foothold with the federal on their federal side and we become insiders, you know, we're in there with it, with them. And so business development happens at a, in a bunch of different ways. And so yes to everything, but that's our focus area is working directly with those, uh, the DOD. Take us through a little bit about what the, SBIR really is. I mean, what's how did that how did that get founded? How did it get funded? And what's kind of their history? Yeah. So I, I won't bore the audience with just the, the details. I want to say it's Senator Ted Kennedy's a bill that came through in the late 70s and it was like, hey, we need to drive innovation. But there's a there's a history there that's relevant, especially if you want to feel terrible about the fact that you missed out on all the money uh, that was available in the 90s that no one knew about. It's quite, <laughs> um, but it, it, there's really no better time right now. And when, when we think about what we're doing with Cibber dollars, I think it's over and over again, we keep saying China and Russia, China and Russia, we got to be China and Russia, China and Russia. So it looks like when, when you're dealing with the Air Force, the Space Force, Army, Navy, they it's not the only answer but darn it, we were starting to realize there is technology happening inside our borders and the warfighter needs it. And we haven't given them a good, uh, the, the path to get there is not clear. And so uh, there's been some smart people, some innovative people, some forward thinking people that says, hold on, we've got this, this cyber program over here. The cyber program can help us keep these companies from having to go get investment from outside our borders or, or from folding up shop and, and going away because they can't, they can't find the customer or can't get there on time. And we can keep it out of China and Russia's hands. And so the Cyber program to me is, is just some, something that's been there for a long time. It's gone through a bunch of different iterations. But right now, the DOD is seeing it as an opportunity to drive innovation and fund innovation in a way it's never been done before. I met your CEO, Sam Reem, at, um, at Spacecom. Uh, earlier, oh, yeah. Yeah. actually the, the first of first of January. And because you're more focused on defense contracts, what was kind of the, the uh, impetus to be at a show like Spacecom? Now, I'll grant you, there were a lot of Space Force guys there. Uh, many of them were uniform. It was, it was more, looked to me like it was more the enlisted guys than it was, um, than it was the officers and some of the decision makers. So what was kind of the thought process that goes into going to a show like Spacecom, which is more focused on, on the commercial aspect of things? That's a great question. And we, we've had those questions internally all the time about where we're going to spend our time and the things we're going to do. But the, the thing that I've probably been missing up to this point is the, the emphasis that the DOD is placing on dual use technology. Hmm. The DOD is not interested in building more defense contractors, contractors that are strictly dependent on the DOD in order to fund them. Um, they want to see companies that are, are seeing investment and seeing commercial success and, and using that as indicators to say, hey, what's going on out there that we need to be taking advantage of in here? And so that's that's counter to, to 
<laughs> anything that you can imagine uh, when you think of the history of, of government contracting and, and how money was funneled. I mean, it's 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 kind of flipped it on its head and we're mm-hmm. and it's it's fantastic because we're finally the DOD. And I say we're because, I, you know, I Air Force background, I, I take a lot of pride in my service and and also serve with guys that uh, did the same. We, we were, we're finally being honest with ourselves and realizing we don't have all the answers. And there's really smart people out there that, that, that can solve some of our problems. And we don't have to treat industry and contractors like they got a disease. Like we can get it, bring them in here and have a conversation with them and figure out what's working commercially. You know, SpaceX, I mean, I gosh, I can't imagine 20 years ago that we like to have a SpaceX and we would just, no, no, we can't, we can't, we can't let them in. But now right. we're taking what their, their innovation, their thoughts and their, and their technology with open arms because it's working and, it, and, it, and what they are doing can help advance, you know, again, what we're trying to bring to the warfighter and, and the environment where war is being done is, is changing and it's changing rapidly and it's particularly relevant to space companies. Let's get kind of down to some of the nuts and bolts. Under Sever, how is a small business defined? What, what makes a business small? Very simple. If anyone's done any business with the government, they, they've seen NAICS codes and there's NAICS codes that is a five-digit code that says, if you do this, you do that, you fall into this category, that category, what you manufacture or whether you're a service or whatever, there'll be size standards, how big are you, how much money do you make and all that stuff's interesting if in certain contexts, not with Sever. Under 500 people. If you are under 500 employees, you are a small business and you're qualified. It's about as simple as, as it can be. And the companies that come to you uh, for, for help in, in navigating that process, do you see a lot that are right at that 500 person threshold or are you, do you get a lot of 10 person companies? It's, a, it's certainly a mix. What, what you find is, especially for someone like us, you know, we've had some great success stories of companies that start two, three, four people, and they just grow and grow and grow, and we, we stay tagged into them. But we, we serve a, a very important, there's a gap here between, hey, we have an innovation, there are things that we are building that, that whether it be conceptual, we're building a prototype, and there's research and development going on. And that's where a lot of our focus and energy is, I mean, whether it be dealing with venture capital or private equity or whatever else, however they're spending their money it's typically not on hiring a full team of business development folks that ha- understand the landscape of the DOD. And so you bring on a team like ours, who <laughs> has, a, again, a full team of folks that have a far reaching, not only from terms of network, but acquisition understanding and strategy and all those sorts of things. And, and we can come in for a period of time. And so many companies we've started with small and they've gotten bigger and we stay locked in. And sometimes, you know, it, it always breaks our heart when it happens, but they, they outgrow us. They say, hey, we have seen so much success and we, our team is growing at such a rate that we need to have an entire team or folks dedicated to that cause of, of DOD business development, proposal writing, things of that nature. And so um, that's what we hope to, to be able to do is, is to get them to that point where they got to make a decision. <laughs> like this is going so great. Do we want to keep going here with a consultant? Or do we want to build our own team? And so typically, so to answer your question more directly, it's, Early, earlier on is typically when we find our, our companies because they have something that's not necessarily ready to be bought off the shelf. It, it needs more work. It's still early on in their development. What does the SIBR program look for in a company that, that applies? How, what, what do they look for in saying, okay, you're going to be a good candidate to get one of our grants? Yeah, 
That's a great question. And I think that there's a lot of different strategies around different industries and different product types and solutions. And, and that was certainly worth talking about, but we can boil it down to three specific things that will help you see, be seen in not only a positive light, but in a great light when it comes down to proposals. And that's one, technical merit. Is this thing even possible? And can you, can, do you have a team that can explain it in a way that's not only accessible to the, to the experts, people that really understand the mission set, but you know, in the DOD, there, it's a lot of times when it comes to evaluation, it's a volunteer force. Here's a few thousand proposals. We've got volunteers that are evaluating these proposals. A lot of times they're not experts. They got to make that technical understanding accessible to the layman. And so can you, be, can you show that technical merit in a way that, that gives it the meat that it needs, but also is understandable? And then the next thing is defense need. Have you shown a knowledge of your target customer or end user inside the Space Force, Air Force, DOD, wherever? Do, do, do you understand your customer? And, and is it a true bona fide need? Show us how you know that. And then again, you, you have evaluators that are not experts. And so you have to show them you understand that need. You have to convince them that there's a need. And if you can do that, if you can do those two things and then show them again, going back to this dual use idea, this commercialization piece, show that, hey, we're, we're going to be just fine without you, DOD. We want to do work with you, but we have venture capital and private equity and commercial revenue that shows we're, we're successful. And so there's a true dual use aspect of that. And so if you can check all three of those boxes, you're a pretty attractive partner for the DOD. What does the government get out of it? <laughs> well, <laughs> this, is, this is great. This, these SBIR dollars are there. Um, and and there's, more, there's more to be said. I don't want to oversimplify it, but especially when we're talking to government stakeholders, let's use the Space Force as an example. I'm talking to um, uh, a Space Force customer or end user, someone that wears the uniform or is a government civilian. And we're, we're talking about this technology that's being developed. And they're saying, yes, we're interested in that. Yes, we want to solve that problem. They get two things. They get one, the ability to, to work together with a contractor to solve that problem. They, they get to have their the contractor's expertise. They get to have their team at their disposal. And a lot of times you get a prototype, something that you can put your hands on and say, this solves my problem. Or, hey, we need to go a little bit further. We've, we've moved further down the line. We need to keep going. Yes, there's merit here. They get to do research and development for a problem that they're trying to solve. And the second thing is they get to do it with someone else's money. Uh, it's, a funny, it's, a, it's a funny way of saying, when we go and talk and we engage with, with Space Force end users and customers, they get to use SBIR funds, which means they don't have to go up their leadership. When you go ask for money on, in a organization where the, the financials have been already determined two and three years out, that's not a very fun process especially for something that doesn't technically exist yet. There's R&D that has to be done. So <laughs> to be able to do that with someone else's money for a period of time is, is quite an enticing uh, um, you know, relationship to take part in. So oftentimes these companies may have a prototype, but something may just be on a drawing board somewhere and they're trying to get the funds together to bring that up to something that can be manufactured or used in some way. Certainly, yeah. And we, I mean, there's certainly software and cybersecurity backend type things and artificial intelligence and machine learning ideas, all relevant. You see it in space, you see it in, in just all the way down to you think the army and the, and the troops on the ground, they're using this technology in different ways as well. So maybe it's not something you hold in your hand. Uh, there's, and, and there's a, 
you could certainly have something that's a concept that you want to take a little bit further. They like to see it a little bit further along. Hey, show us, show us this thing's actually possible. But there it is a wide range, short of it being commercial off the shelf, short of it being something that I can just go to your website and click buy on. If there's still more work to be done, um, it has a it has a potential place in the Cyber program. We're talking with Brent Nichols, Vice President of Client Strategy and Relations with SBIR Advisors on the Xterra podcast. Take a moment right now and click on subscribe to be sure you don't miss any of our podcasts or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos that we have from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. Brent, what's the difference between SIBR and STTR? And I, do you say that sitter or? <laughs> yeah, I would say sitter. And I don't think that's an official uh, shorthand term, but yeah, that's small business technology transfer research. And the, as simplest as I could, I, I could put it, I mean, these things are all worth researching, understanding the programs that you're pursuing uh, are, are, are good endeavors. And that's something that we work closely with our clients on. But, uh, but this information is accessible. And so a big part of it, of it is don't feel like this world's so daunting. You see Sibri, you see Sitter. How are we going to understand it? It's, all, it's out there. There's a lot of great nonprofits and organizations that are putting training and things like that out there. It's, it, it doesn't have to be that way. And so in that theme of keeping it simple, it's the same thing as Sibri, except you, you pursue opportunities with a nonprofit or a educational institution. And so that, as you can, in, again, going in the most simplest forms, if you're pursuing an effort with them, that nonprofit or educational institution needs to account for 30% of the effort or at a minimum 30% of the funding uh, that would be awarded under that effort. And so this is a great opportunity for especially companies that have, been, that have come out of educational institutions, uh, but it's also a great opportunity to, to partner through research. I mean, the, the, the amount of places that you could find a home when it comes to, to exploring are, are, are endless in, in that world. But um, that, that's really the difference. And so it's something to take note in as you look at a new opportunity as they come out, they come out about triannually. Um, take note very quickly. Is it an SBIR program or is it an STTR program? If it's an STTR program, it's still worth pursuing, but you need to go find a partner if you don't have one already. You've talked about this a little bit, but I know you're, you've focused mostly on defense and, and DOD and Space Force and such, but what other government agencies utilize the SIBR program? Oh, sure. I, I'll, I'll miss some, so I won't say I'll, I'll list them, but um, the Space Development Agency, uh, DARPA, uh, National Institute of Health, uh, NSF, Army, Navy, uh, OSD, th th there's 11 of them, and they... I would say if you look at NIH and NSF, if you were to go look at them and mm -hmm. what their opportunities are, um, it's very different than the way you might look at some of the DOD type of listings. And, and different as in they have their, their the platform with which you see the opportunities, grants.gov and, and um, PAMs and e-commerce, like these pl the places that you find them are different. And then the, the instructions on how to propose are different. And those things are notable because if you, in any of these programs, if you miss a step, if you fail to check a box, you can disqualify yourself pretty quickly. So not all cyber programs are created equal. Mm -hmm. And um, the DOD is going to communicate with you in the, in the things that they need a lot differently than say the NIH. The NIH, National Institutes of Health, I, what I see from them is they have, they have true bona fide experts building problem sets. 
you know, and this, these happen over time. They have a, happen alongside industry. And let's say the DOD, for example, sometimes it's a bona fide expert. Sometimes it's somebody that's responsible for solving a problem, but they, they don't have the expertise or, or they're at the, the beginning of understanding their expertise or it's conceptual or whatever. Um, they're doing the very best they can to put something out there to see what industry brings back. And so what, and, and that's why you look at the Air Force and I don't know if I have time to talk about it today, but the Air Force and the Space Force, they introduced something called the open topic. You know, you can go out there and you can see, oh, what kind of problems are these organizations trying to solve? Does it fit me? Yes or no? Some people might be familiar by looking at SAM.gov and trying to find something to propose on. Air Force and Space Force says, I don't want to miss anything. Here's an open topic. Hey, if you got something that you think the defense needs, Come tell us about it. Show us the defense needs, show us the technical merit and show us your commercialization strategy and you might have an opportunity to get on contract. So um, once again, it's I, I love the theme of kind of humbling ourselves from a DOD standpoint and saying, we don't know everything. Let's stop acting like we don't know everything. Let's partner with people that know more and let's come together and collaborate and solve these problems. I'm reminded of the old Saturday Night Live sketch about talk amongst yourselves. Here's a topic. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we'll have some coffee. We'll talk. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Brent, take us through your process a little bit from the time a company comes to you and says, I want to apply for a, a cyber grant. How do, you, how do you kind of shepherd them through that process? Sure. The we, we get companies with all different backgrounds. And certainly there's companies that are founded based on this idea that they know cybers out there. Or they came from the DOD and they, they, they'd say they know the path before they get there. They just need help um, either building a proposal or understanding what, what a competitive proposal looks like. Or they, they, they've come out of Silicon Valley and they know DOD exists, but they don't know anyone inside of it. And they need to capitalize on, on someone else's network. And that's, you know, that's the business development piece. And that's really critical. But we, we start with wherever they're at edu- educationally and helping them understand it. And then, and then we build a strategy around the, you know, I think a really good way to look at it is any given year. Hey, as, we, as you approach an opportunity, there's no guarantees about what's going to happen in this next proposal round. For example, right now we're going, we, the proposal round for the first part of calendar year 2022 is, is about to wrap up in this first part of February. Um, and we're going to put in a lot of proposals and a lot of people are going to be really successful. And some really great proposals are not going to win for any number of reasons. And sometimes you get fat feedback, sometimes you don't. But that's not how the cyber program works. You just throw it in there and hope you win. You know, sometimes and there's so much more that can be said here, but it's really painting that vision of, hey, here's, here's what it looks like over a period of time and, and building a strategy around that and building relationships around that. And so we'll get you ready for a proposal. You already know what you do so well. We're going to help you craft that message in a, in a format that the DOD can grab a hold of and evaluate. But the other, the, the, what we're also going to do, and we're not going to stop doing it until you, until you win, you know, assuming we don't run into a brick wall that says, hey, there's no defense need here. And certainly that could happen. Mm. We don't get fooled very often, but maybe they're just, maybe they just don't want what you're selling. You know, that's, that's quite unusual. There's a lot of smart people in the room, so you don't, you're usually not pursuing something that doesn't make sense. But we are, we're building that, those, those relationships throughout. And as those, those relationships get stronger and stronger, what you see is the proposals get stronger and stronger. And so as we bring them in, we try to help paint that picture and begin building those relationships. And those take just a bunch of different forms. You know, you might have someone that's, you know, um, 
you know, down on the ground floor, turning wrenches, and they they are they have heads down, focused on that one problem. And you know, I'm talking about a government person, and they, they're excited. We somehow we've engaged with them, and they're excited about what we have. Well, there's some coaching that has to be done for that government person, a military member, to take that up the chain. To, to, to share it and evangelize it. Right. And so there's, or we, we talked to the, we talked to the head honcho and he's like, okay, all of space force needs that thing. And then we, we begin to build a strategy around how, how we're able to do that as well. So it, it takes a bunch of different forms. There is no one single playbook, but we, we start with, let's look at what the cyber life could look like for you for the next 12 months. Let's build a strategy around that. We'll get you your proposals ready and we'll build relationships while we do it. What's the difference between a phase one and a phase two award? As simply as possible, the phase one is a feasibility study. Can it be done? You know, sometimes it results in a prototype, but it's really working together and, and, and you're doing some problem solving. You're asking questions, you're getting feedback and you're, and you're showing the problem owner. This is a potential solution. A lot of times that's done through showing that there's a, there's, there's a backbone to your technical merit. It's not just fluff. You're not just, it's not just vaporware. This is real and, and, and showing that, that it exists. So it's a really, you should be able to come out of a phase one and say, yeah, this is possible. This could happen. And if you can do that, you'll get an invitation. In most cases, it happens in a couple different ways, but you'll get an invitation to propose on a phase two. You know, and again, I should go back to phase one, typically around 150 to $250,000. Air Force sees it as low as $50,000. And there's good reason for that, depending on what they're asking for, for your feasibility study. And if you get that opportunity to propose, you have the opportunity to, to get anywhere from, say, 750 to 1.5 million. And these are just rough numbers, but they're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a larger pool of money to go to work, start doing the R&D. Start, start showing the technical merit, let it play out, building prototypes. And so I think a prototype is a really good end game of a phase two. Um, so it's something that you can come to at the end of the phase two and say, do you like what you see? All right, let, let's go to phase three and let's go buy it. But uh, it, it, it's, that's, it's not always that simple. You know, $750,000, I bet there's a lot of people that listen to this that they like, I mean, that helps. I'll take 750K, but it's not getting me all the way there. <laughs> Right. That's okay. And that's okay. That's a complete, and that's completely understood. You just have to be, make sure you communicate what you're trying to accomplish and, and showing how you accomplish it. Those do seem to be kind of skinny amounts. I mean, you talk about $100,000. Most government agencies could find that between the couch cushions. Uh, it's just kind <laughs> of nothing money to them. Um, yeah. So what do companies, I mean, do most companies, can they take a $100,000 grant in a phase one award and, and make enough out of it to get on to phase two? Or is it how much, I guess, in other words, what I'm trying to say is how much skin do they have to have in the game? Yeah, this is a conversation I have a lot, especially for people that are newly new to the zipper program, like $100,000, that, what's that going to do for me? And I'm like, and I'm thinking if $100,000 moves the needle for your company, we're probably not a good partner for you because you don't have the chops is the bottom line. Like we have people beating down our door and it's not just us, but they want to work with us because we know it and, and we, and we can, you know, help them in ways that they can help that companies can help themselves or right, rightfully. So how can you be an expert in your field and the DOD, you know, it just right. it doesn't make much sense. So it makes perfect sense that they'd 
they, they, we have a bunch of companies that would like to work with us. And, and so the, the money is, is in my eyes irrelevant. I mean, it might give you a little bit longer runway, but when you have a phase one, first thing I introduced was this idea of you get an opportunity to propose on a phase two, all right? Um, which is a, it's a larger pot of money. And, and even then, you, so for some people, a million dollars doesn't move the needle as much as you, you, should, you sure would like. And that, and so, so this is, there's a couple things that happen here. One, when you are awarded a phase one on, around the technology that you're developing, you have rights until the end of time to use an acquisition strategy that allows you to go to any customer or end user in the government as a sole source acquisition. And so as plainly as I can say it, the federal acquisition regulation is tough <laughs> to, to navigate. Mm. So the best way to navigate the federal acquisition regulation is to not deal with it at all. <laughs> and that's exactly <laughs> what the CIPR process allows you to do. And so a lot of times what happens is these relationships are getting developed outside of the CIPR program. You know, you're at, you've developed a relationship inside the government. You, you have a customer and user in mind. They have money and they want to do business with you. Well, okay, that's, that's a big piece of it, but that's not all of it. That's, <laughs> so how can you help them? Well, you can help them by getting a CIPR phase one contract. Because you have the, at that point, it grants you the ability to go direct to phase three through a sole source acquisition. And I probably won't be able to say it as clearly and as plainly as I need to, other than to say, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. You have not only been able to come to the table with technology, but you've given them an acquisition vehicle that they can actually use. And they can, and it can be done very quickly. And that's a, that's a big deal. Now, that, that's a bit utopian, right? That's just, it's just, right. Oh, you have a customer, they have money, and, they, and here you go. But it happens more <laughs> more often than you'd think, <laughs> and it's it's a really really empower, powerful tool to to wield. The other thing that you get is the, is you get to pe- tell a piece of your sibber sitter story. Mm-hmm. It, it's very unusual to have a company win a phase one and then a phase two, and then they get a hundred million dollar contract. It's that's awesome if they did. Yeah, it's very unusual. Very unusual. So a lot of times what you see is they went away phase one or phase two, and then maybe a sequential phase two, and then they went another phase one and then a phase two, and then a small phase three, and then a phase one and the phase two, and then boom, it's off to the races. So the SIBR is a shortcut from an acquisition standpoint, certainly, but it's not the shortcut to make all your dreams come true. You still got to do the work. And it, it is, I would look at each SIBR award as a part of your story. And take that $750,000, a million dollars as far as it's going to go and, and work hard, build a really strong relationship with your customer and user. And what you may find at the end of that is they have some more funding to take you a little bit further. And if you take it all the way back to $100,000, wow, you get $100,000 to just go have the conversations with the people that own your problems. What, where does that happen ever? Where do you ever get money <laughs> to go talk to the people that have the problem you're trying to solve. And so I think it's a really obtuse way to look at it by just looking at the number and saying, well, what am I going to do with that? Well, hopefully nothing other than take complete advantage of an awesome program that would allow you to get non-dilutive funding. Again, that's a, that's a catchy term that we use in our, in our industry is like you get to bring in money and you don't have to eat any (laughs) equity. How sweet is that? So take advantage of it. Yeah. And you still have the opportunity to be a 15 year overnight success. 
That's right. That's, that's absolutely right. <laughs> Brent, we're just about out of time, but we asked this question of all of our guests. I want you to look out over the next 10 or 15 years based on the kinds of things you see coming through your program and tell us what you see in the future for space commerce. Well, just reading an article today um, as the Space Force stands up their own acquisition office. Uh, Mr. Frank Cavelli, I had the opportunity to work for at the National Reconnaissance Office has taken over that piece. And that is notable because they are preparing to spend a lot of money to solve a lot of problems because they're taking space very seriously. And I don't have to, I don't take my word for it. I mean, heck, they made the Space Force two years ago. Like that's, that you don't make branches of, of military out of thin air. So the, not only are there things happening within the DOD that are that relate to space that are really important and notable from a, from a financial standpoint and technology standpoint, but they are doing it in a very forward-thinking type of way. I mean, just look at what SpaceWorks is doing. They are piggybacking off of what an organization called AFWorks did for the Air Force. They're executing these SBIR, STTR funds, and they are they're not they're not starting from scratch. They're building on what AFWorks has already built, and so they got a head start compared to what other organizations have. And so there is a big, big, big appetite to partner with small businesses and not just play with the big guys. The big guys are important. Let's not let's not downplay that. They're certainly important, but they want to have a conversation with you. General so and so wants to have a conversation with you. Colonel so and so, Major, Captain, Staff Sergeant, they all there's Airmen and the Guardian that want to talk to you about it and, and they want to see you succeed and not wedge you into a hole like, hey, go be a subcontractor over there and then tell us when you, when you make it big time. No, they want to partner with you. And so over the next five to 10 years, there's going to be a lot of companies that we've never heard of right now doing really, really well because of, not, of seeing the, the opportunity within the SIPR program and building really great relationships within the Space Force and solving legitimate problems. That is great news for all of us because we're going to destroy China and Russia uh, every step of the way, which I'm really excited about. And of course, that technology through the the transfer program eventually trickles out into the commercial world as well. So it, it all is going to benefit all of us down the line. Absolutely. That's great. That's such a great point. And that's a key part of a proposal is showing us we're not only going to leverage this to solve DOD problems, we're going to use this commercially too, and it's going to be great. Brent, we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us on the Xterra podcast. Absolutely, Tom. Take care. Brent Nichols is Vice President of Client Strategy and Relations with SBIR Advisors. That's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. Check out our YouTube channel. Be sure to click on subscribe so you can stay up to date on developments in space commerce and be notified when we post new videos. You can also get daily space commerce news at XterraJSC.com. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at XterraJSC. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.